Welcome to the Amy Rushworth Show. I'm your host, Amy. I'm so glad you're here. I'm an empowerment and sexual wellness coach, breathwork teacher, podcaster, course creator, badass bitch, and a globally recognized thought leader on empowerment. And I'm here to help you if you're ready to fuck off the rules and create a life of unashamed, unapologetic pleasure and deep, deep confidence. I have a burning passion for the taboo and naughty areas of womanhood that we're not supposed to talk about, such as sexual wellness, bold self-expression, defying social expectations, and so much more. The topics that we're typically taught to shut up about or be ashamed of are the conversations I live for, and those are the kind of juicy, soulful chats that are going down on this show. My intention is for you to step into your most outrageously free, unapologetically expressed version of you. So if that sounds like a vibe, let's fucking go. Are you ready? Hey Queen, welcome back to the show. In today's episode, I'm going to be answering questions that you have submitted to me through Instagram. So about a week or two ago, I asked my amazing community, what do you want me to answer for you personally on the podcast? And that's what we're doing. So I'm going to answer some of these super juicy questions that you guys sent in and even if you didn't send one in I'm sure you're gonna love to hear me riff on this pretty like broad variety of topics Um, so one of the first questions that I was asked was about how did I get started with my biz and like what are the reflections that I have from the journey from the very start till now what has changed like personally in my life and personally in the business So I started my business when I was 25 and so I'm going on 31 this year, so a few years now and I have evolved a lot since I first began. So when I first began my business, I was a wellness coach, a holistic health coach. Some of you might have been with me back in the day. If if that's you, then shout out to my like OG community members uh, back when I was wellness with Amy. And it actually came about spontaneously and I was like thrown in the deep end, I guess, by the universe. So I had moved over to London to work for a really prestigious fashion brand because I was working... Uh, in fashion at the time and I got a job offer from Manolo Blahnik and if you, those of you who watch Sex in the City you'll know Manolo Blahnik and I'd been getting these like psychic urges to go to the UK anyway and so because this job offer came about at the same time I was like fuck yeah okay this is the sign so I moved over I thought I had this job, we negotiated, it was pretty much like all ready to go. And then I was waiting for the contract to come through for a few weeks and uh, they just weren't sending it through. And I was like, hey guys, what's going on? And they decided not to give me the job after all. They said that I was too experienced for the role, which (laughs) was like a total stab in the gut at the time, but honestly so grateful for the way that this all came about. And so I had to try and find another job. I didn't know what I was going to do. I took a job with a cosmetics brand that 
was so not aligned, but I really needed to find a job because I was in London. I didn't really know anyone. I was running out of money and I was freaking out. And if you've ever lived in London or worked there, you know that it's a really competitive place to get a job. It can be really tricky. So I was working in this job I didn't like. And long story short, the uh, company was treating me really badly. And then they kind of found this sort of legal, sort of not legal loophole to fire me without having to like pay me up. And so I, at this point in my life was like, holy shit, what the fuck? I've left a relationship. I've moved overseas. I've had these two jobs fall out from underneath me. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was pretty upset at the time and feeling really lost. And so I had this journal that my mom had sent me, but I'd been so busy trying to like find a job and just survive at that point that I hadn't looked at the journal. And the journal was all about mapping out your dreams and asking these deeply self-reflective questions about who you are, what your dreams are, what your vision is for your life. And so I started journaling on some of these questions. And as I started to map out what my dream reality, my dream lifestyle would be, the universe almost put this light bulb into my brain and I realized like I want to start my own business. I've always been really entrepreneurial by spirit. I had lots of little businesses even when I was a teenager doing different things and I really wanted to have a lifestyle of freedom where I wasn't answering to someone else where I you know could make my own schedule where I could do really good things for other people for the world and I really didn't feel like I was making that kind of contribution or living that lifestyle having worked in the fashion industry and so even though it was like a really big leap at the time because I had you know 100k of student debt from my fashion degree I'd been hustling for like five years since I finished university to like basically make my way up the fashion ladder I decided to just leap and I decided you know what I'm going to be a coach I'm going to help women to heal to get to the roots of their confidence issues and I was really also inspired to do that because I'd been working on myself for a couple of years after my mental health rock bottom and so even though it didn't really make logical sense, it was like, this is what I'm going to do. And so literally the next day I booked a coaching training and then the following year I started my business and I started my Instagram. So I started the business and I was like getting to know social media. I was kind of afraid of Instagram. Like I really was almost allergic to doing something like a story. I remember thinking I could never get my face on stories. Um, so obviously, if I reflect on the journey from then till now, being the stories queen now, and I love Instagram now, I can really celebrate and see how much that I've evolved and grown. And as I reflect on that, I also realize how I've been able to do that. So from taking that original bold leap to start my business, I really had to engage a level of courage and I had to almost embrace this paradigm of YOLO. So like I only live once, 
I failed at a bunch of other things, so I might as well try or fail and try again at something that I deeply love, something that feels really expansive and important and of contribution to the world. So in a way, I kind of just had to get over myself. I had to get over my fears, my insecurities of showing up, showing my face, talking about things and really giving myself permission to step into that role of being someone who is inspiring, being someone who's a teacher, being someone who basically puts her own insecurities behind her so that she can actually show up and give and be of service to others. And that's something that still really drives me now because I'm always growing and doing big things and launching new and scary and exciting things and I have to meet that part of myself again and again you know the part of me that's like who are you to do this who are you to be this successful or to have this much power to teach on this thing and so as I have been through my journey of business I've learned so much about courage confidence and service um you know getting out of my own way and just doing the damn thing and over time as you do that you collect evidence of success and it becomes easier on your nervous system because when you start a business or when you start doing anything that's really radical or really new it does feel sort of unsafe or uncomfortable for your body for your nervous system because it's new and this part of you wants sameness this part of you wants comfort it wants familiarity right but as you accrue more and more of these experiences your courage starts to compound you get more positive evidence of like hey you know when I meet that edge amazing things happen people recognize me I help other people and it becomes easier and easier and your level of I guess, relaxation in that edginess expands. And yeah, so I've learned a ton of things, uh, but that would be like the key thing that I've learned. I've also learned about, uh, you know, the level of integrity and embodiment that I have that I don't always see in every single person in the industry. So something that I really committed to early on in my business journey was teaching things from a space of lived experience, only launching, teaching, offering things that I feel truly confident and embodied in and not just regurgitating information. And I really think that that's been something that has allowed me to stand out in the industry that I'm in. It's something that allows people to trust me more and in a way it creates word of mouth as well between my clients because everybody typically has a really great experience. The wisdom lands because it's real, it's embodied. I can teach from that space of knowing that it works, knowing that it's real and that obviously then compounds into more and more success, money, clients, etc. in the biz. And then in terms of what has changed I mean so many things I feel like the business has been such a catalyst for my evolution personally and also as a feminine essenced entrepreneur I mean my branding has changed so many times my message has evolved a lot but 
truthfully, like the core of the message has always been the same because the core of the message has always been embodied within me, which is helping women to feel really confident, really powerful, really prosperous and deeply unapologetic in everything they do, whether it's sex, money, wellness, spirituality, business, whatever it may be. And so even though sometimes the topics that I have spoken to have changed over time, the core sensation and texture of it is still consistent. It's still there. It's still me. And it's still the North Star of everything that I create and that I will create in my business in the future. And in terms of what has changed personally for me, I mean, I feel like my business has allowed me to truly step into who I am, to heal a lot of my wounds around being seen, expressing myself, using my voice, um, healing sisterhood wounds because I'm holding so many women um, with care, with love, with devotion all the time. And I just am so grateful that I get to live a life where the work, the job that pays me, that supports me, also supports me to grow and to heal and to be empowered. It's like literally the craziest thing to me that I get to live this rea- reality. And so that's why I love helping women to become unapologetic if they do want to start a business because it's not just a business that's this entity outside of you. It gets to be yours. It gets to be a manifestation of you, of your essence, and it gets to support you as well. So one of the other questions that I got asked, and I really want to answer this one because I get asked it all the time in my DMs, uh, was this question that was like, I would love tips on how to become a more eloquent speaker like you are. Now, first of all, thank you for saying that because there is this tiny little part of me, I know it's not totally real, but it's still there. This little voice in me that says, you sound so stupid when you talk (laughs) and your accent sounds weird and you just sound ridiculous, (laughs) right? So even though I've got so much evidence to the contrary, I get people who tell me this all the time and people who obviously take all of my courses and meditations and they say, your voice is so soothing to me. There's still that part of me that thinks otherwise. So I want to share that because I think a lot of the time we let that little voice or that insecurity dictate how ready we are to do the thing. And the truth is you can do the thing even with that voice there. And so for me, if I was to give you tips on how to become a more eloquent speaker, it's actually getting out of your own way, not listening to the part of you that says that you're not already an eloquent speaker and starting to do the thing over and over again. So for me, I was really scared of public speaking. And like I said, I didn't like the sound of my voice. I thought I sounded silly. And I knew that in order to have the impact that I wanted, the business that I wanted, that I would need to basically get over that. I needed to move that out of the way, Um, not in terms of like erasing the voice, but I needed to move with that thing still there. So what I did is I challenged myself really early on in my business to basically do the thing that I was afraid of, to feel the fear and do it anyway. So I kind of went on this rampage of doing all these different speaking engagements. So 
I can't remember what year it was. I think maybe the second year in my business. Yeah, I think it was like the second year in my business. I did 35 talks in a year. I think it was 35, 30 something in a year, which is kind of crazy, right? Because there's 52 weeks in a year. So lots and lots of in-person talks. I contacted brands. I linked up with people online. I offered my speaking services often for free and I just got into the repetition of doing it until it was no longer something that felt really scary. And there's a few other things that I did. So I went on quite a lot of podcasts and in 2019, I actually started this podcast even though, again, I was afraid and I didn't know if anyone would listen or if I would sound ridiculous. But I just did it because I had a desire to be that person who used her voice, who inspired people through her voice. But I was letting this little part of me kind of get in the way from time to time. So I just did it and I just decided to keep doing it until I felt more and more confident. And the truth is, like anything, you know, practice makes progress. So the more that you practice doing something again and again, you start to get more comfortable with it. You start to find your flow. You start to learn how you can deliver information in a more punchy, concise, potent way. Um, And sometimes it's helpful to listen back to yourself. Say if you go on a podcast, you can listen back to it. However, what I will say is that in the beginning of my journey, in order to keep doing all of this repetitive speaking, podcasting, interviews, etc., I needed to not watch anything back in order for me to like not pick myself apart or to be too perfectionistic about it. So for a long time, I didn't ever listen to anything back. Even with Instagram stories, I did this thing where instead of recording it 10 times and you know, picking it apart, I would just say to myself, I'm going to say what I'm going to say right now. I'm going to do it in one take. If I fuck up my words, it doesn't matter. And I'm just going to hit post and I'm not going to watch it back. I'm just going to put it out to the world and see where it goes. And so I think that was super helpful for me to start building my confidence muscles with speaking and actually to become a more eloquent speaker. And even now I could listen to something back of mine and I don't think I would be too disgusted by it, but still I would probably find something that I did wrong. For example, I'd notice how I said, um, or like all the time. And I think you've just got to get really clear on like, what's the area for you that you are more self-critical or perfectionistic And it's not really about like ignoring that part of you, but it's just creating ways for that to not get in the way of you sharing your voice. And so for me early on, it was not listening to things back and just showing up and doing my best. Now, this next question's a really juicy one. Have you ever struggled with assertiveness and how do you remain assertive in difficult circumstances? So I really feel like I used to struggle with this and I don't know if people would have assumed that from the outside because I've always been kind of extroverted. I think I put on a bit of a confident front, but even at my rock bottom when my mental health was really bad and I was struggling with PTSD, I was always kind of good at like keeping the mask on for the world and seeming like I kind of had it together. 
Um, but the way that my struggle with assertiveness originated was that I had created this personality or this identity as being the easygoing friend. So uh, in high school, in order for me to like fit into the group and to kind of befriend the queen bees of the group, I would just kind of be going with the flow and ignoring what I actually wanted to do, ignoring them when I saw them doing something that I disagreed with or that I thought was wrong and just always being available and never actually having that kind of reciprocal energy in relationships where it's a nice, you know, blend of giving and receiving. And so I really struggled for many years of my life to really even understand for myself what it is that I wanted and let alone to actually speak up and ask for that or to say, hey, no, this is not okay. And when I went through my mental health crisis in my early 20s, I really started reevaluating this. I really started looking at what I was no longer available for. And it meant that a lot of my friendships fell away because I just wasn't available to be a doormat anymore. And I was learning how to speak my truth and not everybody was okay with me saying no or me, you know, declaring my own needs and saying like, I'm not going to do this or I can't support you through that or I don't want to do this thing that you're demanding that I do. Now, through a lot of years of healing, I've been able to track this back to kind of where it started. I went through some traumatic abuse as a child and I didn't speak up. And so I guess I kind of unconsciously trained myself to not be assertive in order to survive. And so I started having to like unravel the pieces and the reasons for this and I started to do it really gently because this was a pattern that had kept me safe for a long time. And I think it's important for anyone who struggles with assertiveness to recognize this, that this part of you that is people pleasing or doesn't speak up, it's originated because it's trying to protect you in some way or to keep you safe. And so we don't want to judge or neglect or make this part of you really wrong because the habit exists for a positive reason but as conscious adults we get to go okay cool this pattern kept me safe but it's no longer working for the kind of life relationships and power that I want to have so how do I start to kind of gently unravel that and how do I start to slowly and safely use my voice more and assert myself more and so over time, what I started to do was take a trauma-informed approach to this. So basically, if you have any kind of trauma around being assertive, using your voice, being powerful, being outspoken, your nervous system is going to feel really activated when you're in a situation where you feel like you need to do that but there's a part of you that's like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Right. And your nervous system's job is to try and keep you safe. So what we do to heal this and to help your nervous system to feel more safe is we want to create disconfirming experiences. So your nervous system thinks if I do that, I'm going to be unsafe. I'm going to die. I'm going to be 
in trouble, this is a threat. And so we want to create safe, empowering contexts where you get to do that and then your nervous system can go, oh, okay, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> I am safe. I didn't die. And it expands your window of tolerance over time. So obviously, if you're on this journey of trying to be more assertive, I'm guessing maybe you are seeing as you ask this question or if you're listening, maybe you're on this journey as well. You don't want to just go being assertive in a really threatening situation. So you don't want to just start like being super outspoken in a situation where it could really backfire and you don't have the resources there to support yourself through that. So you can start talking up in relationships where you feel like the other person would be quite receptive or they wouldn't be really volatile in the way they react. You could start practicing being more assertive in the way that you do public speaking, right? So you might not go do a talk in front of 3,000 people, but maybe you could do a talk in front of 10 people and show your body and your nervous system like, hey, it's okay for me to be a bit bold. It's okay for me to use my voice and assert myself here. Or maybe it's when you're setting boundaries. So you might find someone who you think is quite self-aware and practice setting boundaries with them or even with yourself. So like holding yourself to a boundary. There's going to be thousands of examples and it's so nuanced and, you know, different for each of us. But ultimately, the key to repatterning and recoding things that no longer work for us is to create new, safe, disconfirming experiences so that we can feel like, okay, yeah, I've got this. I'm learning how to do this. I'm expanding how comfortable this uncomfortable thing feels for me. And the last piece that I want to share regarding this question is that I feel at some point in your journey, you have to make an inner decision around what you want your life to look like and how you want to know yourself. And at some point in my journey, I just decided, you know what, I want to be proud of myself. I want to know that I lived an honest, powerful, brilliant, joyful, loving life. I want a life where my relationships are reciprocal and equal and loving and trustworthy and honest, where both people speak their needs and their desires without fear of abandonment or rejection. I want a life where I look back and think I was a badass <laughs> and my life was so true and authentic and I don't have any regrets because if I spend a lifetime withholding what's true, not speaking up, not asserting my needs and desires, I'm never going to have that. I'm never going to have deeply intimate, honest relationships because I'm withholding. I'm not showing the other person who I really am. And that's going to stop me from being intimate with them and having the best relationship that I can have with them. And if I don't speak up in my life, I'm not going to have and manifest the life that is honestly orgasmic, amazing, true, pleasurable for me. And so at some point you have to make this decision, almost like putting these two things on the scales, like on the left scale, not being assertive, staying safe, people won't abandon me hopefully, and that'll just be safe and mediocre 
Or I can have this amazing life over here that has its challenges where I meet my edges, where I do scary hard things and speak up, but I'm also going to have everything that I want. And I'm going to know that it's 100% a match for me because I was being fully authentic. Now, the next question, I fucking love this question. Waiting for divine timing versus taking inspired action thoughts. Okay, I have all the thoughts. <laughs> so I kind of have this belief that everything's divine timing because even if you make a move and it turns out like, oh, maybe I made that move prematurely or it didn't actually work out how I thought it was going to, it's still divine timing because the divine works through everything. The divine works through your alignment, but the divine is also working through your mistakes and the divine is also working through your choices and your breakthroughs through trial and error. And so I do think that there is these moments where it is this, you know, very obviously divine timing, everything falls into place at once. Yes. But I also think that sometimes that can be a bit of a spiritual cop out for people where they're got, they're saying they're waiting for divine timing, but actually what is dictating that is a part of them that's scared or a part of them that doesn't want to take defined bold action or a part of them that is waiting for an outside force or an angel number or a message from somewhere else in order to actually follow the desire. So I really think that divine timing is working through us at all times and I think we see it the most when things are just falling into place or if they're sticky, we're learning so much from it. And I don't see either as superior to the other. I think we learn a lot and we actually create conditions for alignment and divine timing through our trial and error as well. Especially when you're learning, when you're keeping your eyes and your heart open through that journey and you're willing to receive the wisdom of not only the highs and the triumphs and the things that work smoothly but also the times where you struggle a bit or you make a move and it wasn't the right thing to do so I think it's like we're taking inspired action and it's divine timing as well and I also think when the action feels inspired like you mentioned, inspired action, I feel like that is divine timing at its most obvious. So the divine timing comes about as a result of trusting and following the inspired action or taking the action to follow your inspiration, your desire. I don't think our desires are accidental. I think our desires are messages in bottles from God, universe, spirit. And even though our desires can change or maybe we chase a desire, we get it and then we're like, hey, this isn't aligned at all. I still feel like that was the divine working through us because you needed to have that lesson or you needed to have that experience. You needed to get the clarity. You needed to receive something that you thought you wanted, but turns out you didn't really want it in order to understand, ah, oh, this is what I now really want. And so I think these principles, these theories are really fun to play with, but when they're getting in the way of you taking inspired action or trusting your desires, I think that's when they become problematic and they feed into patterns and stories that we already have. And lastly, if I was to summarize how I work 
in the moment and how I create things based on this question specifically, I would say I live with an attitude of I can't get it wrong. So I try things when I'm inspired. I go for my dreams. I manifest things. I make big moves and I don't like fuck myself up over it. I just see what happens. I'm like, I can't get it wrong. Either I'm going to get everything that I'm hoping that I'm going to get or I'm going to create what I hope I'm going to create or I'm going to learn something that's just as valuable as that creation because we learn so much through trial and error and through mistakes. If anything, I feel like the lessons, the pearls of wisdom that you get from trial and error and mistakes and things not working out is actually more expensive and wealthy and magnificent often than the things that are really celebratory. So you can steal that one if you want. Living as if like, if I can't get it wrong, what would I do? So the next question is what do you outsource and what do you feel is important to own in biz yourself, even at seven figures plus and why? So I have been through different ripples of change in terms of outsourcing and team members throughout my business journey. At the moment, I actually have a really small team at the moment. I had a really big team in 2021 and now it is me, my assistant, uh, my accountants, and then I'm outsourcing some graphic design at the moment. So I think it's unique to each person and their zone of genius. I would always sort of go with the notion that if you really enjoy it and it's your area of fun and genius and play and creativity, like that's a good part of your business to sink your teeth into yourself or to kind of have your fingers in the cookie jar. Um, But I don't believe in wasting my time doing things that could be outsourced if I could just have that time for myself instead to focus on something that is more my zone of genius. So for me, I don't need to be uploading videos. I don't need to be making snippets of this podcast. I don't need to be scheduling my clients by hand into my diary. Like these are things that I want to happen in my business that need to be there to keep the foundation strong and to have the impact that I want to make they're not my zone of genius. So I outsource a lot to my assistant. She creates a lot of the snippets and the content and the promo for the podcast, booking anything into my diary, making sure that there's a lot of space in my diary, that the boundaries are honored. We do certain meetings on certain days. So she's just kind of keeping all the foundational pieces together for me. And then I can do graphic design, but I often like to outsource that because I could just be spending that time in the bath or self-pleasure or with a client or dropping into an aspect of the business that I am really, really good at and that nobody else can do. For example, coaching clients or creating Instagram content that day or a reel that day. So anything that is in your area of absolute expertise that you can delegate, I always say delegate it because you're going to free up space to channel more of your wisdom and genius in other ways and even just to have the space in your diary because that's going to support you as a business owner and a leader to have more time to rest, to be spacious. Um, And then the last thing I would say is like 
this is different for every single person and I would definitely sink your teeth into your human design with this because some people get a lot of creativity and energy from being in some areas of their business versus not others. So for me, I'm a projector, I'm a mental projector. So the way that I do success is I am an expert at making things easier, <laughs> making things more efficient. And that means that I outsource a lot of things that make the business more efficient so I can work smarter, not harder. But if you're a generator or even like a manifesting generator, you might really thrive on doing a lot of different things in your business back to back. It's ultimately about like what's serving your energy, what's serving the business that you're creating and also serving the life that you want. Do you want to be in your business every single hour of the day? Do you want to have some days off? Do you want to have more freedom? And I think like finding uh, like deeper clarity on what your personal goals are for your business, your revenue, the way you want to work in the business with the clients, as well as the lifestyle that you want to have is the key to understanding what to delegate and what to keep for yourself. And you may also go through seasons of this in different times of your biz. Now, the last question that I'm going to answer for this episode is how to have better boundaries with clients and leadership with your clients. So really feel like these two boundaries and leadership overlap so much. So really feel like the boundaries and standards you hold for yourself, for your life, for your business, for your clients is a form of exponential leadership for them. A lot of the women who come into my more intimate coaching containers, masterminds, one-on-one, etc., always reflect to me that the boundaries that I have create this catalyst of empowerment and motivation and leadership within themselves as well. So the way that I approach boundaries and that I've learned to more and more is seeing boundaries are not a way to create separation or distance between your clients. If your boundaries are to do that, I would say that potentially you're not working with the right clients for you because for me personally, I want to be in intimacy and sisterhood and really a lot of depth with my clients. So I actually get energy from being with my clients and in proximity to them. But the boundaries are there to help to cultivate and foster that intimacy. So by having those boundaries there, there's a level of authenticity. So when I say yes, or when I say no, my clients know that I really wanted to say yes because they trusted my no. They trust my boundaries. They see them in action. And so what that actually helps to do is to collapse and dismantle sisterhood wounds between women. It's interesting how sisterhood wounds can show up in coaching dynamics as well. And so boundaries actually are not there for separation. They're there for intimacy. They're also there to inspire your clients to honor themselves too. And when two women in a relationship honor themselves, oh, I mean, the energy, the love, the trust, it's so potent because there's no shadow of fakeness there. There's no shadow of resentment. There's no shadow of inequality, you know, one person being on a pedestal and the other below. It's like a space that helps to 
multiply the boundaries of the other as well. And when we have boundaries with our clients, we're actually able to serve them better because we're pouring from that overflow. We're pouring from truth. We're pouring from this paradigm of like, when I honor me, I honor you. And boundaries are also helping you to preserve that energy so that you can give those clients the highest quality service that they're probably paying you quite a lot for. So I don't want to pour into my clients from a space of being depleted or only showing up because I'm like, oh, I better answer that question or I better come to this session because I said I was going to. I want to pour from, I am so excited to fucking drop in with you today. Oh my goodness, because I have rested. I have filled my own cup up. I have had amazing time in nature and sex with my lover and giggles with my friends. And then I'm going to drop in to box it with you or however it works for you, your boundaries. And so explaining those boundaries at the beginning of a coaching container is also really important. Letting your clients know like, hey, this is the context for how I work with you or how we work together. And this is the reason why I do this so that we can have a loving, truthful, expansive, exponential coaching container. I do this so that I can give you my very best. And I need the freedom to have these boundaries so that we can co-create something beautiful together. And I tell you what, it inspires your clients. It will always inspire them. And if somebody does get triggered, it's like, how do you use that as a meeting point for a powerful conversation with them? How do you hold them through that trigger and let them know like, hey, these boundaries are not just for me, they're for us. They're for you too. There'll be beautiful breakthroughs if you can comfortably hold that with someone too. So I love that question. I hope it's been useful to you. And thank you so much for submitting these questions to me and letting me riff with you. Maybe we'll do this more often. I'll ask you on Instagram and I'll answer some of them here. If you love this episode or you think it's going to be helpful for someone, please pass it on. And if you review the podcast, if you give me a beautiful review, uh, send me a screenshot and we will gift you a hundred pound coupon towards any of my online courses because I love you and I want to reciprocate that energy. So yeah, have a beautiful day. I'll see you in the next episode and sending you so much love. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this episode ignited you, expanded you and enriched your heart, your mind, your life in some way. If it did, reach out on Instagram. My handle is this is Amy Rushworth, or you can head over to my website for all my courses, retreats, and magical offerings at amyrushworth.com. If the show feels like a vibe for you, make sure you subscribe. And if you have 60 seconds to rate and review, or even to just share the show with a friend, I would be so, so, so grateful. And it helps more amazing, beautiful people like you to discover this show and to improve their lives for the better. Stay tuned for the next episode. And until then, I'm sending you strength, grace, ferocious courage, and a friendly reminder to always love yourself fiercely and to go out there and live your most unapologetic life.